to you today from Acts 19, verses 23 through 41. And Aaron and I have a bet that I'm going to slay a few names here. Okay? Just bear with me. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that the gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus. <laughs> Blast it. Sorry. Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then, Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. Oh, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's so awesome. And I, and I pray for Aaron today as he comes up here and he helps us to understand this scripture. Um, that we would not just commit it to our mind and our heart, but we would act on it. That what he teaches us today, we would go out and be the church to all of Greeley. Thank you, God, for this day and this time. May you bless it deeply. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Ginger. Thank you. I would have passed out getting through all those verses. So welcome to Church Project. We're glad that you're here. Um, if you don't own a Bible, there's Bibles in the back. You can have one of those. Or you can open up your version, the free Bible app, and the notes are on there. I'd encourage you to save those notes so that when you go to house church uh, this week, you can talk and dialogue about the message. And that's when the Bible comes alive. I mean, Sunday's great. We can have a great monologue, and we can learn some great stuff. But man, this thing really comes alive when we're together and we're studying it. And so I'd encourage you to save those notes, go to House Church, and talk about this passage in particular today. 
So we're looking at Acts chapter 19, verses 23 through 41. We're getting through the rest of Acts 19 today. Can you believe it? Like we're in the 20s now. We're only a handful of chapters away from ending the book of Acts. But the story of the book of Acts is nothing more than the early church trying to figure out how to be church. Like they were very much a project as well, just like we are. They were experimenting on how to hear the Holy Spirit and how to live that out in their everyday life, which is the same challenge for each of us, isn't it? To wake up, to focus on who God is, to know who our identity is in Him, and to show the world love wherever we go. And so every word that's written in the book of Acts is so pivotal and important for us because it's just a, a little map that we can look back into and see how God started to build his church, this very thing, his ecclesia, the thing that we're part of here today. I've enjoyed Acts, haven't you? Like it's a great book to just see where this whole thing started from. Speaking of starting, we're going to take a little pause. Like Church Project, I don't, I don't know if you know about Church Project, but we've been around for seven years. We're going on eight years. We started seven, eight years ago. And we started, it was a church called Project Salt. Remember that? Project Salt. It was cute. It was quite fun. And then there was another church that, that started called Church at Dayspring. And that was cute and fun too. And then a few years later, everyone got this wild hair and we changed our name. And so this church, Project Salt, became Church Project. And this church, Church at Dayspring, changed their name. It became Jacob's Well. And then we decided, since we're having so much fun... Why don't we marry and become one church? And so then to confuse everything, we stopped naming it that, and we took on the name Church Project. And so already, it's been a project of, of believers that are coming together and doing some amazing things. That's just locally, though. I want you to know that globally, Church Project is doing some pretty cool stuff as well. Like, we have a, a, a network of churches called Church Project Network. Isn't that a brilliant name? Like, what if we call this network? We're good at names. Church Project Network, which has multiple domestically and, and internationally as well. I tell you what, what's exciting for me is that last Monday, I drove up to Winter Park, beautiful place, met with a group of people that are starting a church project in Winter Park. Like, they're solid. They're an amazing group of people. There's about 50 of them that are excited to get going. And so Jason, my friend from Houston, he's the pastor of the church project in Houston flew up and met me. We, we drove to Winter Park, and they're so excited because they want to start doing church project. They want to do house churches. They want to get together in the valley, and they want to do house churches. Most of the people that I met with were saying, you know what, we've been in church for a while, but we're hungry for community. We're hungry to dialogue over scripture, and we're hungry to serve. Like, check this out. This church hasn't even started yet. And in Christmas, this last Christmas, they got together, and they, they, they made a meal for all the lifties. You know what lifties are? Ski resort people. Made a meal for all the lifties. They had like 50 or 60 people come and get a free meal. And that little group of people, the church in Winter Park, that's not even real yet, was like it was such a joy to serve and to do. Like church. The reason we're church project is we look at it and we say, what did the early church do? In Acts. Well, they gathered by the thousands whenever they could in the temple courts. Like, we're going to worship. Like, we're going to get our worship on. It's going to be incredible. We want to see all the other believers in the community come together, come together. They studied scripture. So we get together, we worship, we study scripture, we sing. Sometimes I bust out in solo song in a message. That was fun. You want me to start singing again? Never mind. 
But we study scripture as well. And we say, God, what are you doing? And then we see the early church, like they broke off into community groups or house churches. That's where when Paul would get released from prison after he thought he was gonna die, where's the first place he goes? To his house church. That's when bad things are happening. Where does he go? To his house church, to the church. When they wanna celebrate where they go, to the house church. Like I'd encourage you, church, as we look forward, from 2019 forward, America is more and more becoming post-Christian. America is more and more saying what we've done won't necessarily be what we do as church. And we need to rethink and reimagine and say, what is the essence of church? Well, it's Jesus. It's the gospel. It's knowing each other. It's serving the world wherever we go. I get the privilege tomorrow to jump on a plane and go to California. But I'm bummed. It's really cold there right now. (laughs) I've been working on my tan. Like, come on, man. But I'm going there to meet with our our most recent church project in Orange County. They started down there a great group of people. And our network of pastors are going to be meeting in California and praying about what God has for us as a network of a church for the different churches throughout America and and, um, around the world. So church, when you think of the church... Don't just think of church project. That's so super limiting, especially if you're just only thinking of church project right here. That is so limiting because Winter Park's about to blow up. We've got them in Houston and California. Like, even church project is big, but church project is nothing when we think of the body of Christ. The global capital C church. May his name be known. If you had the honor of coming to First Wednesday Three weeks ago, we got to, for the very first time in this gorgeous building, worship God together on a Wednesday night in downtown Greeley as we lifted up his name. I mean, it was a blizzard and no one should have been here. But we were here and it was amazing. And I'm telling you this, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, we have that again. And this is a great time to invite your friends to come to this as we lift up the name of Jesus. Like, this is what it's about. Ginger, thank you for reading this passage today, and I want to dive into it and and pick out some very specific things that I think God has for our church. Like, what do we need to know as we look at this verses from 23 all the way to 41? Here's what we need to know. The pleas of dread go deep. The things in life that are calling you to dread go deep. They, They plea for you, like, come here and dread. When we start feeling dread, it goes deep deep. It affects everything that we are. It affects the way that we think. It affects what we do. The pleas of dread go deep. Church, if our hope can be taken, Satan Satan has got us exactly where he wants us. If our hope can be stolen from us, Satan has got us exactly where he wants us. He wants us to focus on dread, and so it pleases to us. Like, come to me. Like, dread Because if we're in dread, we have no hope for the future. As I look at this passage right here, I want to set it up just a little bit. This is the city of Ephesus. And if you study the city of Ephesus during this time specifically, you know that this is a busy seaport. It's a very important city in this region. It's highly populated. They have about half a million people during Paul's day during this time. It's it's a, a fairly sophisticated city. 
It's also a religious center of the day of what's going on in this area. It's one of the seven wonders of the world because they have the temple to the goddess Diana or Artemis. And so you can go and look at some renderings of what this may have looked like, but it was a significant and a powerful building that was there to worship the goddess Diana Artemis. And during this time, which this passage kind of reads about, people were making money. They were selling little images, little cast iron. Some some say it was silver cast iron of the goddess of um, Diana or Artemis, which If you look at some pictures, there's images in this goddess. She has 30 breasts, or some people say 30 eggs, or some people say 30 bull testicles. But I'm pretty sure no matter which one you want to choose, you probably don't want that on your mantle at home. Like, just just saying. Paul at this city spends more time at home or more time here in Ephesus than anywhere during his ministry. He spends two and a half years here in this city. And I wonder why. I wasn't there. I don't know. Here's why I think. He saw the Holy Spirit doing some amazing things. Like we've already learned at Church Project, like our job is to know where God is anointing and moving and align ourselves there. I mean, we find ourselves in this gorgeous building because of that. We say, we're coming here. We're going to see what God's doing. We're going to have first Wednesdays here. And it was apparent the very first Wednesday here, God was like, I'm anointing this. And we're like, woo, here we are. And I wonder if that's why Paul was in Ephesus for two and a half years is because the anointing was so thick. You can't deny it. When God's moving, you can't deny it in your life. So I'm going to pick apart a few things in here. In verse 25, we see Demetrius, and he's talking to the merchants about dread. And this is what I mean by what do we need to know from this? The pleas of dread go deep. Demetrius right here, he's talking to the merchants, and he's, he's like giving them this dread. And you don't have to go very far back in the passages before this, but if you remember in verse 19, what happened? When the Holy Spirit moved, all the magicians and sorcerers of that time brought all their scrolls together in verse 19 and burned them. Millions of dollars worth of merchandise. And if your livelihood stems from making these funky goddess things, that's scary. Because this new message is coming in, and now your livelihood's even at risk. And so we see in verse 25, Demetrius is talking to the merchants, and the merchants, and the very first thing he does is try to fill them with dread. Demetrius's livelihood is at stake. So the main point of his whole conversation here is fear. He doesn't know what he's going to do if suddenly he can't make a living from making these little statues. That's the main point of what he's talking about right here. Proverbs 13, 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. If we lose hope, Satan's already won. If our perspective is on dread versus on hope and what God's doing, then Satan's already won in our life. Like the enemy is already getting ground in our head and in our heart. Like the pleas of dread go deep. And Demetrius knows this. He sets it off to the merchants and starts to instill them with fear and dread right away. Church, where is fear and dread taking hold in your life? And where are you losing heart? So the pleas of dread go deep. And why do we need to know this? 
It's because especially with Demetrius, we just need to follow the logic here. Demetrius, we need to know this because people will use deception. At the beginning, Demetrius is scared of what? Losing his livelihood. That's at the core of what his argument is. But let's go to verse 27. It says, the great goddess Artemis will be desecrated. Now he's starting to use deception because he's scared at the very core, and we see this riot thing kind of build out. So we see him right here starting to use deception. And I want to say this, just a, just a sidebar in verse 27, when it says, the great goddess Artemis will be desecrated. Does that mean she's really that great? Like if you could desecrate God, like, is, that, is she really that great? Okay, just go in there. Uh, we get to verse 29. It says, soon the whole city was in an uproar. We get to verse 32, and most of the people didn't even know why they were in an uproar. Does that make sense? I mean, just picture this. You can go and research it and see the Colosseum. I mean, it's, it's an enormous place. But imagine just getting caught up in a mob mentality. And we've seen, seen this in our day, haven't we? We've seen plenty of mobs, some for good and some for bad. We see Demetrius at the beginning, he's scared, he's, 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 he's fearful of losing his livelihood. Then he starts using this deceptive things and saying, uh, Diana needs our help and something and starts deceiving. And now this is mob mentality and we get all the way down here to verse 32 and most of the people don't even know why they're shouting and screaming. They're just caught up. It sounds like an emotional frenzy. Don't even know why they're there. And then in verse 35, it talks about the city. And I think this is kind of cute. Again, it says the Ephesus is the guardian of the temple. Ha <laughs> ha. Okay, a city is a guardian of the temple. Again, of deity, of, of higher things. Like I kind of laugh at this, right? God is building his church. By the way, he doesn't need us to do it. We get to participate and be the church and we get to celebrate but hey, listen, don't you dare carry the weight of the salvation of your neighbor on your shoulders. You're just not that strong. Like God's spirit is gonna move and push back the gates of hell. It's not our job to go win the world for Christ. It's our job to lock eyes with Jesus, to smile and to align ourselves to his anointing in our life. Go and do what he says all from an identity of who he is. Listen, God is gonna build his church. So we see that Demetrius, the first thing he does is the pleads of, dreads are, of dread is really, really deep. Then he starts using deception. And so I ask us in these verses, where are we being deceived? Where church in your everyday life are you getting caught up in an emotional frenzy? Where are we assuming responsibility that is not ours? Like if this goddess Diana was really deity, really God, then you don't need a city to represent you and to combat for you, right? Yet church, we can because of guilt, because of shame, because of terrible theology, think that the salvation of the world rests on our shoulder. We're just not that strong. Like, that's assuming responsibility that's not ours. Okay, let's, let's continue here. The pleas of dread go deep. People will use deception. We see it all the time in our world. And what, what do we need to do about this? Well, we need to deeply know God. 
If there's one thing that we need to do as a church is deeply know God. That's it. Don't even think of step two or three or four. The first step and only step is deeply know God. And think back. Think back to the life of Jesus. Maybe you can think of stories in the Bible, like Jesus' words of life and hope to a woman caught in adultery are beautiful. In John chapter 8, verses 10 through 11, it's this very thing. It's the woman caught in adultery and all the saints, all the Christians, all the godly people bring this woman to Jesus and they're ready to just stone and condemn and beat up and we see Jesus and we see his words. Let's read them. In John chapter 8, verses 10 through 11, Jesus straightened up because he was down spitting in the ground or something. You can debate that later. But Jesus is in the ground, and he stands up when they bring this woman caught in adultery. Jesus straightened up and asked her. He looked at this woman. Imagine you being that woman. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus compels. And when we know this Jesus, he's going to continually compel us to himself. Not condemn us and push us away. He's going to speak bold words and our lives will have to align with him and his word. But all the condemners that brought this lady caught up in adultery... Jesus said, hasta la vista, baby. Looked her in the eyes and said probably the most beautiful thing she'd ever heard because she saw God that day. Our job, church, is to know God deeply. I'm also thinking of Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. It says this, For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those who are of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting um, whole households by teaching things that they ought not teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. And it continues a few verses later in Titus and it says this, don't let tradition replace the truth of scripture. Don't let tradition take over and replace the truth of Scripture. When we know God, we will know the lies. When we know who God is, we will know the lies. It'll be apparent to us. And so when the world is trying to, pleading for us to get into despair and to be discouraged, and people are using deception to get us caught up in an emotional frenzy, our job is to deeply know God. Because when we know God, we know what the lies are. Our reality will be filtered through truth. Everything that comes at us, people trying to deceive us, whatever it is, we filter it through the reality of truth and the Holy Spirit, and we're able to see where God is, not the deception all around us. God compels, Satan repels. So I wonder how Satan would get up off the ground and talk to this lady caught in adultery. Hey, listen. We've all been a caught in adultery. 
We, none of us in this room match up to the holiness and the perfection of God. We can be brought before God on many, many accounts, just me alone, of how I don't line up to who he is. And many, many times, as many times as I've been drugged before God, Jesus has stood up in the, from the ground, looked me in the eyes, and said, I love you. God compels. Satan repels. I do want to point out that we can't stay the same when God straightens up and talks to us. As the great liar and the condemner brings us before God and God is down on the ground and he stands up, straightens up and looks us in the eyes, we cannot stay the same. He says, I love you. And then if you notice, what does he say? He says, go now and leave your life of sin. Like the life of sin will keep you in this, in this vortex of just death. But I've come to give you life. Church, when we know God, we know lies. The pleas of, to go into the dread and to live into the dread of the world are around us every day. The deception that people use, will use to keep us far from God go deep every single day. Our job is to deeply know God. And why do we need to deeply know God? So we can declare truth. In any situation, we'll know what truth is. Don't make any mistake about it. As Christians, we have deep insight into spiritual things that the world don't, they don't even understand or know. There is no scenario we will ever encounter in which we will not know truth because we know who God is. We cannot be deceived when we're listening to the Holy Spirit. We might be confused. We may ne might need to pray. We might need to wait on it. We might not know the answer right away, but we know who the author of truth is, and we have the Holy Spirit in us. Church, we are a powerful group of people because of God, because of what he does, what he has done in our life, and we need to deeply know God so that we can declare truth. The world will continue to frenzy over temporary topics. Like in this passage, this was a huge deal for these people, for the people with their livelihood, for the frenzy, for everything going on. This was a huge deal. I mean, they're screaming and they don't even know why, and we don't even really, we can read about it, but it's gone. It's gone. It was temporary. And in our life, the world will continue to frenzy over temporary topics. As royalty, though, as sons and daughters of God Most High, we can focus on what is, not on what isn't. To know God deeply, to have spiritual insight, to see things eternal, not just temporal. Where has the enemy robbed you of hope? Where has the enemy caused you to look in temporal situations. Oh no, my livelihood's at stake. Where are you focusing on temporary things when God's inviting us to look into the eternal things, the things that are gonna last forever? Because the great, that temple to, uh, to goddess Diana is no longer standing. It was one of the seven great wonders of the world and it's no longer standing. Temporal. Here today, gone tomorrow. So where has the enemy robbed you from your hope? And what truth will you declare 
over that hijacking. Because if you're losing hope in any scenario in life, it's because truth was hijacked from that scenario. So what truth can you then instill back into that scenario and say, no way, when I thought there was no hope, when I was lost in despair, when I didn't know how I was gonna get out of it, truth had been hijacked. Now I can replace that desperate, hopeless scenario with God's truth, his promises, the eternal things that are gonna last forever. So church, as we sit here today, where has the enemy robbed you of hope? And what truth will you declare into that hijacking? I think of Isaiah chapter 40, verses 31. And this is such a famous verse. You've probably heard it. You can probably sing Sunday school songs about it. Here it is. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Amen? Satan wants to take our hope. Proverbs 24, 14 says this, know also that wisdom is like honey for you. If you find it, there is a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off, amen? Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, amen? These are the eternal things. So this week, when Satan is pleading for you to sit in dread and people are using deception and the world are throwing temporary problems at you that seem very real, may we deeply know God and may we declare his truth. That's people that's in love with God. I'm going to ask us right now just to reflect just personally as we sit here on what God may have for us. I believe the Holy Spirit is powerful and can speak into each and every one of us right where we're at right now. So if you would, just close your eyes. Maybe hold your hands out in front of you just with your palms open in a submissive stance, just saying, God, here I am. I receive whatever you want to show me today. Just take a few moments here to just breathe deeply. Feel the oxygen. Feel being alive and being present in this moment. God, thank you. You are good. You're a good, good God. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to reveal truth to everyone in this room right now. Where is fear and dread taking hold in our lives? Where are we losing heart? Where are we being deceived? Where has the enemy robbed us of hope? Where are we assuming responsibility that's not ours? 
And what truth can we declare over our lives? God, we thank you for bringing us here today. I mean, choosing to give us life, that's pretty cool. The fact that we get to gather in this beautiful building, singing beautiful worship songs back to you, just declaring who you are. God, thank you. Thank you that we get to be part of this. We get to be your church. I pray for everyone in this room today that as we are getting drug to you and our accusers can't wait to kill us, that God in this room right now will anxiously stand before you and as you straighten up from the ground and lock eyes with us, you'll begin to remind us of who we are in you. We're not what the accusers say. We don't live in dread. We are not deceived. For we are royalty, a priesthood. We are forgiven by God Almighty. There's nothing about us you don't know and you love us, God. We thank you for that. Church, let's spend a few moments. Just ask God to reveal truth to you. And just maybe, just maybe, as he reveals truth to you, the Holy Spirit is going to convict you of something in your life, maybe an action, a thought, something in your life that doesn't line up with his perfect will for your life. And I say respond to that. Say, God, here's this. I don't want this sin. I don't want this action. I don't want this thought. You've revealed it to me, and my job is to align my life with who you are. And so I ask you, I confess this sin to you. Take this away. Go and sin no more. Jesus says as he looks us in the eyes and compels us to himself. Man, isn't that a good message, church? Wow, the best message there is. God, I pray over us in this room. I pray over your ecclesia, your church, everyone in this room that as we go about our places and spaces this week, and as we sit in our house churches and declare your truth, that, God, we would smile knowing you are good. You are lovely. You are king. And church, just quietly to yourself right now, keep declaring the you are. You are, and fill in your word, just in a few moments right here, just spend that talking to God, declaring who he is back to himself. Friends, I I hope that we leave here changed today. 
um, that, we, that we know Christ more intimately and that we continue to believe the truth of his reality in this world in which we live. Um, and I think the best way that we get to do that is together. We get to do that together in house churches and how incredible it is to point one another to the reality of the truth of the gospel day in and day out. So maybe this is one of those areas where you've been afraid or you've been dreading being in deep relationship with people. So would we sacrifice that today? If you're not a part of a house church, ask the person sitting next to you, hey, when does your house church meet? This is, I think, the greatest thing that we do is that we get to meet together. Um, so I challenge you to do that. Let's go and be the church together wherever we go this week. So have a great week, and we'll see you soon.